I have a feeling it's going to be on Josh Allen to do a lot of stuff in this game if the Bills are going to win. And if he doesn't have that extra hand, I don't know how good I feel about it. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and the news cycle continues to turn. It's divisional weekend in the NFL playoffs. Got four bangers to talk about on the show. Also, coaching news galore. We had to retape part of the show last night because Mike McCarthy was retained by the Dallas Cowboys. Coaching hires. The cycle continues to churn. Talk in a minute about some interviews, some some big-time candidates potentially nearing some jobs. We also have another guest on the show today. We've got Vikings safety Cameron Bynum stopping by to talk about his season. Vikings defense under Brian Flores. Really enjoyed that conversation with him. Got all the news, all the breakdowns, all the interviews you need heading up to Super Bowl 58 to get all of it. Make sure you're subscribed to the show, please. Go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the YouTube channel, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your news. We we find out every single day there's something new happening in the news cycle, so you're going to want to stay up to date. Why not let the NFL on podcast help you do that? All right. This is, this is the divisional round preview. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to take a closer look at all four of the matchups this weekend, but I'm just going to try to update you as far as things stand with the hiring cycle as it stands right now in the NFL. I'm going to guess we'll have some more concrete news by Monday to report somewhere. We'll have a, an announcement, a, an official tweet with the cool photoshopped graphic next week. But heading into the weekend, just so you're aware, it does feel like things are heating up specifically with some of the bigger name coaches in the NFL. Not just the L.A. Chargers, but now the Atlanta Falcons have officially interviewed Michigan Wolverines head coach Jim Harbaugh, won the national title for Michigan a couple weeks ago. It feels almost inevitable that Harbaugh winds up in the NFL, but still talking to several teams. We'll see if he makes the leap here, I would imagine, in the coming days. Probably the hottest name among assistant coaches in this hiring cycle, Detroit offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has interviews coming up in the next couple of days with Carolina, Washington, the Chargers again, and the Seattle Seahawks. So most of the openings in the NFL, very interested in the guy that's helped rejuvenate the Detroit Lions and that offense with Jared Goff. Should also mention right out here in L.A., Titans coach Mike Vrabel has also interviewed with the Chargers. Chargers just cast in a wide net. Just who, I mean, I personally think it's the most desirable job just because you have Justin Herbert already in place. So yeah, take your pick. You want the established uh, current NFL head coach in Vrabel? Do you want the former NFL coach turned successful college coach in Jim Harbaugh? Do you want an assistant? Any number of ways you could go with that. Also worth pointing out, it was Mike McCarthy on Wednesday slash Thursday getting retained. He talked to reporters in Dallas Thursday morning. That is officially official. He says, we've built a championship standard in Dallas. It's just not a world championship yet. 
It's technically true. They've won the NFC East twice while he's been there. Cowboy fans will just wait to see what they do after that in Mike McCarthy's next season. Also, another guy facing some scrutiny, Mike Tomlin, told reporters Thursday he expects he's going to get a contract extension sometime in 2024. He says he's not really worried about the timing of it. Remember, after the playoff loss to Buffalo, he was asked about having one deal, one year left on his deal, and he he stormed off. He's, as I said, he was probably just pissed off in the moment. That's exactly what he said later. So not worried about the long-term future for Mike Tomlin. Didn't really think we should be. The more interesting note coming out of Pittsburgh is that he does confirm Kenny Pickett is going to have competition for the starting quarterback job this coming year. Is that Mason Rudolph? Is that somebody else? If it's Mason Rudolph, no offense, that's not particularly intriguing to me. But if the Steelers are interested in pursuing outside options, whether it's a free agent or a trade or the draft, whatever, that suddenly becomes very, very interesting. We'll see exactly what they have in mind. We got all spring to talk about that. And I'm saving the juiciest one for last. Going back to Atlanta, they did interview Jim Harbaugh. But then there's the other guy, the most accomplished coach in NFL history who has now been unemployed for a week or so. The Falcons have already talked to Bill Belichick. Belichick met one-on-one with team owner Arthur Blank earlier in the week. Felt very uh, predictable just because the Falcons, at least initially, hadn't been diving in to the coaching market. They hadn't submitted a lot of requests. Seemed like they were intent on Belichick. And now you see... The two main guys they've been tied to are Harbaugh and Belichick. So it seems like Atlanta is really interested in taking a very, very big swing. Now comes the news. Belichick is going to have another interview, a more in-depth one with more members of the Falcons organization sometime this weekend. So starting Friday or, yeah, at some point in the next few days, we could find out Bill Belichick is the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. I guess we'll see how this second interview goes. I can't believe a guy with six Super Bowl rings as a head coach and another two as a D coordinator needs to do a second interview. Like, what, are you going to call my references? You're going to call Robert Kraft and say, did he really win the six Super Bowls? Like, I don't know. What else is there left to say when you're hiring a guy with that resume? Be that as it may, that's what the Falcons are going to do. We'll see if Bill winds up there. All right. We can get into that in more detail next week and in the weeks to come. So many off-season storylines, but there are still eight teams playing. That is the main purpose of this episode. We're going to preview the divisional round. Where better to start than our game here on Fox, the Saturday night contest between the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. Of course, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are going to be there. Greg joins us now. Maybe not a a matchup we were expecting with Green Bay pulling off the first seven over two upset in playoff history, but it certainly looks awfully enticing. All right, Greg, I want to start here for Niners Packers, and I will acknowledge, I think it's one of the oldest cliches in football, but I'm curious for your thoughts on it as a, as a player, the Niners, you know, not only did they get the bye week, but a lot of their starters took the final week of the regular season off. So, I mean, that is that is a lengthy time to to sit and not be in it. And meanwhile, the Packers have been playing high-stakes games for two, three, four weeks in a row at this point. Does that, you know, that whole 
you know, being being hot, being clicking versus resting, does that carry any weight for you? I, I, I think it's a fair point. I think every team um, has different records and different success or lack thereof on and off bye weeks, on and off long breaks. Um, I think what we've seen, uh, I think San Francisco is one of those teams that coming off buys, coming off, you know, down times coming, you know, think back earlier in the year, they lose three in a row, they go into their bye, and then they come off the bye, and all of a sudden they look back like the San Francisco team. So I, I think a team like them to get this time off, recharge, I think they come out fast. I think they come out aggressive. Um, that's kind of their play style to begin with. So I think every team, every coach handles bye week 18 combination thereof um, a little bit differently. I, I don't blame Shanahan for sitting the guys that he did. I, I think, you know, you you you'd hate yourself if God forbid one of them twisted an ankle or, you know, whatever in a meaningless game. So I think he handled it right. I think they've shown that they have the guys that are capable of coming off the bye, handling their business and coming back fresh, fast. And um, I, I expect that to be that case this time. You and uh, you and KB called the Niners loss to Cleveland all all the way back. Actually, during that downturn, before they got the bye week and got got it back rolling. When you, I mean, like for you as as somebody calling the game, how how deep do you look into a team's season? Like, I mean, is that is that game informative to you at this point, or is it really more about how these teams here? are playing over the last, you know, whatever, two, three weeks. Yeah, I, I think every game kind of tells its own story. I think you can look at play styles. I think um, you can find trends. You can find, all right, you know, how do they handle man coverage? How do they handle teams that get up and press? How do they handle, you know, teams that zone them out? So there's there's little trends. I don't know if you're going to find anything definitive. I don't think you can look back at the tape or at any of the numbers and say, okay, when they played bad, it's because teams did this on defense or when teams did this on offense. I, I think the common thread for San Francisco is when they don't turn the ball over, when they play clean, they're very hard to beat. And when they don't give teams extra possessions, when they don't hurt themselves, I mean, you think to the Baltimore game, you think to the Baltimore game, they're rolling on that opening drive. They're going right down the field. Kittle's got a couple big catches. They get down there first and I don't think it was first and goal, but it was first and 10 inside, you know, pretty tight. And he just throws a bad pick. And then it felt like everything from there kind of went off. He had a bunch of tip passes. It just turnovers seem like the common thread when San Francisco, um, you know, gives, you know, has, has games taken from him. So I, I think that that's still their formula, protect the ball, but still keep their aggressiveness, continue to go out there and, and push the ball downfield, mix the run and the pass on offense, and then defensively fly around to the ball, create their own turnovers. Um, I think they lead the league in an interception. So they, they, their style of ball, when they play it, they are very hard to beat. They, they're, you know, one of the top, you know, you could say them, you know, they're, they're in the top two and they might be one. So as far as the teams left in the playoffs. So it's, it's a tough beat, but as we've seen, when they don't play their best, you know, a couple teams have gotten them. We talked about this a minute ago before we started recording. And look, I mean, Jordan Love was was sensational against Dallas. I get obviously that's that's such a cool story. But I think you and I would agree we expected Green Bay's offense to play well in that game. Uh, but the defensive performance, like when you think of all of the criticism that Packers D coordinator Joe Barry has faced this year, they have had some really bad results. 
And what they hold Dallas to seven, 16 points during the competitive portion of that game. What did you see from these guys against the Cowboys? I mean, what, what was the trick there? And I mean, against this Niners offense, does how, how do you sustain that against a, a, an offense with so much talent? Yeah, I think, you know, I think what's been so hard to figure out about Green Bay's defense is at times when we, you know, we, we've seen them, we, no better example than against Detroit on Thanksgiving. We all, every game you call of Green Bay, you're like, yeah, offensively, they're fun and exciting. What defense are you going to get? So we saw them in, you know, on Thanksgiving against Detroit, one of the best O lines on the road in a hard place to play, you know, top offense. And they dominated. They were awesome. It was very similar. But then we've also seen them against the Panthers give up 30. And we also saw them lose to the Giants and we saw them lose to Tampa. So we, We've just seen this like Jekyll and Hyde, but it always seems that in the games they need it, in the games when everything's there, their defense performs. You know, the last two seasons, the last two games of the season, even to make the playoffs against Minnesota and Chicago, Green Bay only gave up 19 total points, right? So they lose one of those games. They're not even in the position to 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 win last week, you know, and be the first seven seed to to upset the two seed like they did against Dallas. So They've found a way to play well in the meaningful games and no bigger challenge than this week. So as, as good as they're feeling after their performance, and they should, Joe Barry deserves a lot of credit. Um, that entire defensive unit deserves a lot of credit. They're going to have to do it again. And I think they're going to have to find some ways to turn, turn, you know, take away the ball. I think the, the Jair interception there early in the game to, you know, to and ensue, you know, make it 14, nothing after the ensuing offensive possession was critical, obviously, the pick six before half to really make it out of reach. They're going to have to come up with a couple of those. And, uh, you know, kind of goes back to what we said earlier about when San Francisco's, you know, had a couple struggles this year, what was the common thread? And and it was the defense being able to take the ball away. So I think the secondary, last week we said it's all about the defensive line. And and really it was the secondary of Green Bay that I think was the, was the story of the game. The two turnover, you know, the two interceptions and then, Throughout most of the game, Dak had nowhere to go with the ball. They did a nice job mixing up the zones. They did a nice job mixing up their coverages. I, I think they've got to – it doesn't change. This this week, they need the same performance. They need to get after the passer, control up front with their with their bigs, and then their secondary has to continue to be opportunistic and and get their hands on balls and, and take away first reads and try to make Brock Purdy's day as difficult as possible, which has been a challenge since he's taken over as starting quarterback. That actually leads into a great point, which is that Packers defensive tackle Devontae Wyatt with I I think you could call it a little bit of trash talk saying this week that, you know, when the D line gets to Purdy, if you get pressure on him, he can he can miss balls behind or or throw in short and and throw in interceptions. I don't particularly think that bears out, honestly. Like I think Brock Purdy's been really good against pressure and and making the right decision when he has to like get out of the pocket. I mean, what what have you what do you make of that? Is is that an accurate scouting report? Or I mean, is this just fuel yeah, I, for, for a playoff rivalry? I, I think that's a little bit of a young guy trying to hype himself and his and his buddies up. I I don't think the film or the data necessarily supports that. I think you know, I think San Francisco does a million things good. They they are the best offense in the league in the sense that they are equally efficient running the ball. They're number one, number two, you know, number one in passing the ball. They are the epitome of balance. They are the epitome of talent, scheme, all coming together. They're not the best pass blocking unit in the league. They're not bad. 
But when you're amazing at everything and you're number one at almost every category, you know, something has to be a little bit down the down the line. And, and I think pass protection's solid. Trent Williams is a Hall of Famer. I think the rest of the group, they're good. I think they're middle of the road pass pro. I think Purdy's actually been exceptional working out of a muddy pocket. I think he's actually been exceptional while under pressure. I mean, he leads the league in, you know, passer rating and completion percentage under pressure and yards per attempt. I mean, so it's hard to say the guy uh, that you can kind of muddy the waters in there and he's going to struggle. Um, listen, is any quarterback better under pressure than they are when it's clean? Probably not. But I, I think there's a lot of things you can say about Brock Purdy. There's not many negatives to say about him. And I just, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's uh, it's reflected, but listen, whatever green Bay has to do, whatever they need to do to motivate themselves, their front is the strength of their defense. Um, We've seen them when they play well, they've taken down some really good offenses. So you never know. I, I don't blame Wyatt for, for talking his boys up a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Pur Purdy's been pretty unflappable throughout the course of the time since he took over last year and uh, getting to him is not easy. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, that game against Baltimore has given some people the wrong impression of the entire season, maybe, but Hey, like you, like you said, Whatever you got to do to get yourself in the right headspace for for a big game, I guess. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about too is you know, like of of all the coaches on the Kyle Shanahan tree, me personally, it's easy to forget Matt Lafleur is part of it just because he hasn't been with Kyle since Atlanta. He was in L.A. and then he was in Tennessee. So like it, there's a couple degrees of separation, but obviously the, the familiarity is there, the similarity and what they like to do is there. How do you think that plays into into this matchup of just, you know, this this shared history between these coaches and this offensive scheme? Yeah, I, I think anytime when you share kind of that the root, I, I think, you know, Matt, when we talked to Matt this week, he was very clear. He's like, listen, I I, I learned some of the most I ever had was under my time, you know, with, with Kyle, he's like, I, every, the root of my philosophy of offensive football comes directly from Kyle and, and, and his system. So obviously they're very closely aligned in the origins. I think since they've gone their separate ways, like most coaches, they've taken that fundamental approach and now just adapted it to their play style, adapted it to their own kind of philosophy and, and, and thought. So I, they all kind of take their separate path at some point, but when you, follow that path back. They're all kind of rooted in the same. And I, and I think it's so important to, to point out as we see teams continue to flourish and we see young quarterbacks continue to have success in this league. We ask ourselves why, like what is the common denominator? And I don't think there's any mystery that Jordan Love and Brock Purdy and CJ Stroud, I and mean, we can go up and down these young quarterbacks, what they're being asked to do and the success they're having, not just in the regular season, but now continuing it, in the postseason, it is not a coincidence that it's Kyle Shanahan and Bobby Slowick and Matt LaFleur and Tua down with Mike McDaniel. It, it's not a coincidence that the way these guys see offensive football is a really good way to protect your quarterback, give them some easy throws, not just send them back and shotgun every play and say, okay, go figure it out. Like they help their young quarterbacks and those guys are wildly talented on top of it. So it's a great matchup. So I think that is not a coincidence. And I think this playoffs, um, specifically with those three teams, the Texans, Packers, and San Francisco, obviously at the top, are just a great reminder that this style of football, this style of offense, the tentacles that it's reaching throughout the league, 
they pretty much all continue that success. You know, McVeigh and his tree. It's all it's all very similar in its origins. I think uh, I don't think that's just by random chance. Yeah, I would tend to agree, and I think yeah, the, the success of all of these guys as they've gone on to these different jobs is is pretty big proof of that. All right, I I started with a cliche. I'm going to finish with a cliche just because I I think it's very fitting. It's Niners Packers. These teams have a, a storied history, especially in the playoffs recently. But I am interested in recent years when the Packers have played the Niners. It's it's Aaron Rodgers and it's trying to get over the hump and get this four-time MVP, another Super Bowl. A lot of pressure on the Green Bay Packers in these matchups recently. And now it feels like the narrative is kind of flipped where, the, I mean, the Packers are just this young team. It almost feels like they don't know what they don't know. And and this time around, it's the Niners who really, it feels like there's a lot of pressure to live up to how good this season has been and finally get back to a Super Bowl. Is 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 there anything to that in your opinion that the, I mean, you, maybe you saw it with Dallas last week is the way that these expectations can weigh on a team. How do you think that plays into these big playoff matchups? Yo, I, I think it's completely legitimate. I, I think all of the pressure is on San Francisco. And I think, you know, when you talk to San Francisco and just knowing the guys they have there, you earn the right to have pressure, right? Pressure only comes with teams that there's expectations. Pressure only gets put on teams where there's a lot, you know, a, a lot on the line. And they've earned that. They've not just earned that this year, but they earned it last year. I mean, they're a, a fluke situation in the NFC Championship game from who knows. Maybe they end up being in the Super Bowl last year instead of, you know, instead of Philly. So, I, they're a team that their success has now led to, okay, that that's all fine, but now what? Like, what is that next step? And I think we saw it to a, to a similar degree last week with Dallas. I think Dallas felt tight. I think Dallas felt the weight of the last 28 years on their shoulders. Is this, you know, we got to get over the hump. I think they were confident. I think talking to the guys before the game, they never in a million years didn't think they'd be playing, you know, at, you know, hosting Detroit this weekend in the divisional round. So but but there's no question right now, you you know it's the like you said cliche city. But Packers are playing with house's money. No one expected them yep. to be here. And when there's no expectations placed on you, and you can just go out and let it rip, you can be more conservative. In, I mean, more aggressive in your play calling. You can be more aggressive in winning the toss and taking the ball. You can go for fourth downs. You can go for it in the red zone. Like there's no, there's if if the game if San Francisco wins. Everyone says, yeah, that's what we expected. But if San Francisco loses, like the world's going to fall apart. So I, that's completely legitimate. But the, the last thing I'll say is the best teams, and obviously that's where San Francisco has fallen for the last couple of years, they've earned that right to play with pressure. And I think for the most part, they've done a really good job. They, they, they're a team that when they get to the playoffs, I don't know, Shanahan, the last couple, you know, the last four times Shanahan's had his teams in the playoffs, they've at least made the NFC championship. So obviously their formula to play with that pressure and expectations, um, it, it, it clearly works. I can't wait to see it. I I mean, I, I believe deeply in the Niners. They were my pre-playoff pick to win the Super Bowl. But this this Green Bay run feels very real, though. Like, I don't think this is smoke and mirrors. I think this is a team really coming into its own. We just want a close game for once the entire <laughs> season. For one time this entire season, all we ask in the booth, and for all you Niners and Packers fans out there, you all think we cheer for you or against you and we hate you. 
we want the game to be close so that we have some fun stories and some fun drama to kind of take you on that ride down the end. That's it. And we haven't had a lot of those this year and it continued into the wild card. So I'm hoping this is the week. I'm hoping this is the week that we get a thriller and uh, have a good time. I hope it's not a me thing, man. Cause like, as soon as I showed, as soon as I showed up and started talking to y'all every week, it's, it's been blowout city. So we had it. We had an all-time playoffs last year. I mean, we we had an unbelievable wild card round with the Giants, uh, you know, beating Minnesota on the road. And then the following week, we had Dallas, San Francisco come down to the wire. Then we had the weird NFC Championship. That was kind of our clunker. Obviously, San Francisco had that unfortunate reality of not having a quarterback. And then we had arguably the best Super Bowl of all time. So me and Burkhardt always joke, like, getting the, you know, one of the best Super Bowls of all time, most watched unbelievable drama controversy all of that like we're paying now for it we're we're uh we're paying our sacrifice for having there's, that unbelievable run but it could still turn around we got yeah, two more there's, there's still time there's two more games hopefully they're both classics greg yeah. have have fun in the bay man and we'll uh we'll check in about it later all right you got it see you greg and kb have the first nfc game on saturday night out in the bay on sunday afternoon the other nfc matchup features the Detroit Lions playing host to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. History at Ford Field. First playoff win in 30-plus years. Now their first divisional game, obviously, if they win just their second trip to a conference championship game in the Super Bowl era. Got to go back to the 50s for the last time the Lions were regularly appearing on stages like this. You think the city of Detroit isn't excited about good football? Tickets to this game are going for $1,186. Is that pre-fees or after-fees? Because those the fees are a killer. Like You wind up paying $1,300 for a ticket to a playoff game. That's wild. It speaks to the enthusiasm. The atmosphere at Ford Field for the Rams game was incredible. I'm, it's going to be even more turned up this week. The Buccaneers, they're no stranger to the playoffs in the last few years, but that was all with Tom Brady. So to pull this off with Baker Mayfield leading the charge, a guy that was famously discarded by so many teams here over the last few years, it's just a cool story on both sides of the ball. Two number one overall picks that were told by their original teams, no thank you guiding two new teams to one of the biggest stages in football. And one of them is going to take it a step further. Can't wait for it. I got a big assist from our buddy, Mark Schlereth, NFL on Fox broadcaster, breaking down all things Buccaneers Lions. All right, Mark, there's a lot of places we can go with Lions Buccaneers, but I I thought about this since we're having you on. It's, it's not quite an apples to apples comparison, but you were on those Denver teams that delivered long-awaited championships to that city and how amazing that was. Like I said, it's not quite the same. It's been a really, really long wait for a moment like this in Detroit. But from your own experience, what is what is that like for the team? What is that like for the city when you get a run like this after, after so many years of waiting? Yeah, I think... Uh... I just think, you know, I texted with Dan Campbell after the game. Um, the excitement, you know, Dan Campbell was there in Detroit when they went 0-16 as a player. So he understands what that feels like. And I understand kind of the weight of the world. In Denver, it was different because they went to multiple Super Bowls under John Elway and got shellacked in all of them. 
So our first one, Super Bowl 32, a lot of the fans didn't want us to go because they felt like, oh, Green Bay's a you know, 12, 13-point favorite, and we're going to get waxed in another Super Bowl. And so there was this feeling of, um, you know, this feeling of almost um, apprehension or dismay throughout the city. Detroit is not that way. They're just excited to get a playoff win right now, and they're playing kind of on house money, I would imagine. Um, but they've been phenomenal. I-, I love Dan Campbell after the after the game when you know he he gave uh, Brad Holmes their GM a game ball, and then he said, "Hey, Jared Goff, game ball, you're good enough for us," you know. And it was really cool when they've got the city behind them, and they've got that juice and that feel. And offensively, they've been performing like lights out. And I think there's a one key factor for them that they've been waiting on all season that's been a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball, and that's C.J. Gardner-Johnson. That dude is a football-playing Jesse. He is, you know, he is, he's that guy that you hate playing against, that you love him as a teammate, but he's talking smack. He's getting after people. And he brings an edge to that defense and that secondary that they have not had since he left. I love uh, Brian Branch, their nickel guy. But CJ really is a guy that brings some juice and some energy to that defense. And I just I just kind of love where they are as a franchise right now and, and love just the hardcore toughness that Dan Campbell has brought back to that organization. It's so true. And CJ – getting under the skin of Baker Mayfield a little bit this week as well with some of his comments about the Mm -hmm. passing game. I I mean, I personally love it. I love adding juice to a playoff game like this. Uh, But I am curious, Mark, if I, if my, if memory serves you and Adam Amin called both lions bears games for us. And obviously one of them, just an incredible rally at the end. Detroit gets it clicking there in the final four minutes. The other one, a really rough day at the office for Detroit. So you've kind of seen them at their best and at their worst. I'm curious what you think is the difference. Like when, what, what is the key to things getting clicking for them? And maybe also what is the key that can, can kind of throw them off track? Yeah. Well, what threw them off track was Justin Fields. Uh, his ability to run the ball from the quarterback position, like no matter how they try to protect the edge, they didn't have an answer. Like they just didn't. And and they're, you know, they're running zone read stuff and, and, you know, option stuff off the edge. And no, they tried to surf it. They would try to pinch and scrape with a linebacker. They would like, they did eight different things to try to defend it. And none of them worked. Uh, Justin cut them up. And then they had the RPO game and the play action stuff off of that. And they really struggled with that. Um, Baker Mayfield ain't doing any of that. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ain't doing any of that. So, you know, now it comes down to can you execute the passing game? And that'll be really interesting to see exactly how Baker does in the passing game. I will tell you this. <clears throat> um, he has been uncanny, especially in the second half of this season, to perform his best in the most critical moments. And I talked to Dave Canales, their offensive coordinator, and he said, it's just remarkable, just remarkable what Baker has done in critical moments and the way he has played in critical moments. And it's almost the more pressure that Baker is under, the more pressure that he feels, the better he's going to play in, in situational football. And so, you know, one thing I'll tell you about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
they have gotten their run game together. And this is something that I did a Tampa game and we talked um, ad nauseum and I talked with Baker and I talked with Dave Canales, their OC, and I talked to Todd Bowles about, you know, their run game and getting that going. And they have fixed some of their run game. Um, th- their running back, is it uh, Rashid White, right? Rashad White, yes. Rashad White, yeah. Rashad White has just been phenomenal, uh, running hard. They've kind of pared down and eliminated some things they were trying to do early in the season. And he's been really good. Their running game has been much better. And then when you're talking about, you know, Palmer, the young kid, the rookie, uh, mixed with Chris Godwin, who's one of the best wide receivers and one of the toughest and kind of no-nonsense blockers in the business. And then, of course, you know, with Mike Evans and, and what he brings, um, they're they're formidable. And Otten, if you can get him going like you did in the wild card game against Philadelphia, they're they're a very very tough offense to defend. So they're going to be a challenge for Detroit's defense without question. I'm glad you brought up you know them kind of finding some some extra dimensions because. My thing with the Buccaneers is they've been such a Jekyll and Hyde team. Like, I believe the game that you called against Atlanta, they score 13 points. Their defense is doing everything it can to keep them in the game, and mm-hmm. they, they just can't get enough. They've actually had, I looked this up, they've had seven games where they score 26-plus points. The passing game is going. They've also had six where they can't even get 14 points on the board. So, it's, I mean, it's a very feast or famine situation do you think it's getting that run game going is that is that the extra layer that they needed to to be able to sustain some of this success yeah I mean I think if you look at I mean look at you know what Houston was able to do look at what Green Bay did against Dallas like you know both those guys both Jordan Love and C and CJ Stroud had 21 attempts um you know playoff football is interesting as much as we try to morph professional football into college it's not the field is different the hash marks are different the players are different um so it's just never going to be college football and i know we keep trying to morph it into that but show me the team that gets the most attempts rushing the football show me the team that can dominate both lines of scrimmage and i'll show you the team that's going to win every single game and playoffs more than any other place you know one one thing i always say about you know difference between well, just about offensive football in the NFL. When you get out of rhythm as an offense, you can't throw yourself back into rhythm. You, you just can't. And it's it's one of those things that's, to me, you got to get a bunch of fat dudes on the field, right? You got to condense formations, get multiple tight ends, get a fullback in there, and you got to bludgeon people. And when you bludgeon people, you get out of that too high shell look and you make them get into a single high safety look, and you make a guy reduce in there, and now we got one-on-ones on the outside, and we've got alleys, you know, for verticals and everything else. That's how you get yourself back into a rhythm in the passing game. And so many teams are trying to morph into this, let's throw it, you know, 65 70% of the time and only run it occasionally. Um, it, that does not work playoff time. It just, it just doesn't. You're not going to consistently be able to win games doing that. And um, and Tampa certainly has figured that out. And Dave Canales, their OC, has certainly grown um, from, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season to what they're doing right now in the running game. So on the flip side, I I love everything you just said. I, I know I'm speaking to uh, an O-lineman. 
obviously, I mean, what what must you think? I I can only imagine it's a very high opinion of what the Detroit Lions do in that regard. Phenomenal offensive line. You got yeah. Sewell, you got Taylor Decker, you got Frank Ragnow. They actually, I mean, didn't run the ball maybe as well as you would expect against LA, but you know they have the capacity to do that. What type of impact do you think that Lions uh, offensive front might have on this game? Big. It's it's big. It's, you know, when you talk to Dan Campbell, he'll flat tell you the best football player that we have as a Lion is Panay Sewell. Not by far. Like, he's the best football player on our football team. And the strength of our football team is our offensive line. And I will tell you one thing that I love um, about Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator. And, you know, I did a whole breakdown thing. I was calling one of their games. Their understanding of running the football in, in long yardage situations like when you start looking at what they do, like look at their numbers, go back, go back and look at their numbers on second down and long and third down and long. And it, it'll, it'll amaze you how many times and where they rank. They're one of the top three or four teams in the league as far as running in those situations. And they've got a great nickel run package. And oftentimes the reason that stuff works is because you're going to get the most favorable matchups, the most favorable looks. And, you know, defenses are going to play you in dime or nickel. And so you're going to have little people on the football field and they do a really good job with those situations. But a lot of times you get in second seven and you throw an incomplete pass. Now you're in third down seven plus, And that's a pain. Like that's really hard to convert in those situations. Well, they'll pop a trap and all of a sudden it'll be third down and one and or third down and two. And now everything, the entirety of your playbook is open to you. And as a defense, you have to defend everything. And that makes it difficult. So they do a phenomenal job of calling plays. Go back to that Chicago game. You mentioned the one in Detroit where Detroit came back and won that football game. They were down by 12 points with four minutes left. And if you go back and look at those last two drives, man, they ran the ball probably seven times in the last two drives with four minutes left. And it was one of those things where they ended up getting such favorable matchups and their the versatility of their run game. They are a lot more uh, diverse than a lot of teams. I mean, they run and they'll base on outside zone and they'll have their inside zone and they'll have their, uh, but they have a, a, a counter series and a trap series and a tackle trap series. And so, you know, they have an outside uh, run series and and they you know Montgomery is kind of an inside guy uh, Gibbs is kind of an outside guy but they both they're both interchangeable they've really done they've really done a great job um, running the ball and most teams struggle with with that much of a menu in the run game um, but they don't and the reason they don't is because they work their asses off on it and it's important to them. And so they have that opportunity to have, be very versatile and, and have a very large menu in the run game where a lot of teams just can't because they just can't work on it enough. It's going to be a phenomenal matchup on the, on the fronts on that side of the ball. I have one more for you and it's, it's about coaching. You've mentioned Dan Campbell a lot. I mean, obviously the, the culture, the mentality he's instilled, he's also, I just I admire his confidence and his aggression so much. The what he's willing mm-hmm. to do, the way he's way, willing to lay it on the line. Todd Bowles is a, he's a defensive guy. He's as old school as it gets. 
I would I would venture to say he typically skews more on the conservative side when it comes to decision making and situational stuff. How do you see that matchup? Is is this a situation where if you're Todd Bowles, do you have to change your your tendencies to kind of meet the moment here, or or how do you see that playing out? Well, I, the biggest thing is Todd Bowles is going to be pr- bring pressure, and <laughs> how do you handle right? How do you handle pressure? Um, and we saw it against uh, Philadelphia; they didn't handle it well. Um, how are you going to handle those pressures? And a lot of times, <clears throat> he'll bring pressure uh, on first down just to get you behind the chains. And so, <clears throat> how does your how do you operate on first down um, versus pressure? What is your run package versus pressure look like? What is your pass? You know, do you get into the play action off of pressure? What What do you do um, based on the pressure situation you're going to get? And I get there's a great chess chess match there. Todd Bowles may be more conservative from the standpoint of going for it on fourth down and and some of the things that you look at Dan Campbell. You know that Dallas game they should have won where. You know they go for the two point conversion what three times and, and you're like dude at, at some point just like I always joke around with with analytics folks I go how many how many two point plays do you think we have as an offense <laughs> going into any game like you know, we got one that we really like and one that we're okay with and that's all we worked on the rest of them are just regular plays so it's not like you've got this menu and and how many you, you know we practiced one two point play. So, like your menu is very limited, and it always it always kills me when people are like, "Oh, you got to go for two here. You got to go just pick your two point play." Like, hey, we don't, just don't really have that many of them, so it doesn't work that way, you know. Um, but you know, I admire Dan Campbell. I think one of the things that Dan Campbell probably doesn't get the credit he deserves is the dude is a really smart football guy. Like he knows, he really knows football. And, you know, he, he has this meathead mentality. I think he's really good with that, you know, that, but I'm telling you, that dude is, uh, that dude is sharp and he really knows, he really knows what he's doing. And you walk in to Detroit over the last couple of years since Dan Campbell's taken over, that's a different building. I mean, a completely different building. Everybody wants to be there. Guys show up early, guys leave late, um, players, coaches, the, the the support staff they all love being in the building um it hasn't been that way in a very long time and you got to give dan campbell all the credit for creating that culture and creating a, a an environment where everybody wants to be in i just i mean i've i've never met dan but yeah what you just said is all the proof i need the guy knows exactly what he's doing i mean it's it's such a cool story I can't wait to see the environment for this game. I can't wait to see it play out. Mark, I appreciate the time so much, man. Thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. Take care, buddy. Let's flip over to the AFC and let's start with the headliner. The last game of the weekend, Sunday evening, the one that everyone's going to be talking about. The Kansas City Chiefs traveling up to face the Buffalo Bills. Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. Number seven overall. Number three in the playoffs. Turning into... Very much a Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning sort of situation. These guys both still relatively young in their careers and have already played six, seven times between the two of them. Also, the first road playoff game of Patrick Mahomes' career, not including the three Super Bowls. It is worth pointing out he had to play a Super Bowl 
in Tampa Bay's home stadium. Still technically a neutral site. He started 15 playoff games. Not one has been in a true road environment. Not one has been in front of a raucous crowd like the Bills Mafia is going to be on Sunday night. I Maybe people are tired of hearing about it. I don't care. It's incredible. I don't know how often we will see this. If Patrick Mahomes loses to the Bills on Sunday, it'll be the first time in his career that he made the playoffs and didn't at least get to the conference championship game. He's been doing this every year since 2018. I don't get tired of thinking about that special type of dominance. We'll see if the Bills have enough to trip him up around earlier than he's used to. Like I said, the quarterbacks take center stage here. Josh and Pat are three and three against each other. Bills three and one in the regular season. And actually all three wins are at Arrowhead. The The home quarterback has yet to win a regular season game in this series. The Chiefs one regular season win came in Buffalo in 2021. Then there's the all important equalizer. The Chiefs are two and zero in the playoffs headlined by of course, the 13-second game in the 2021 playoffs, the game that re reorganized overtime, changed the way we do overtime, got rid of sudden death in the playoffs. How amazing would it be if we got overtime in this game after that craziness a couple years ago? Also interested in the elements here. Buffalo, I think as I'm recording this, is getting hit by another snowstorm. They had their game against Pittsburgh pushed back a day by snow. Now they're they're dealing with it during the week. I think they're, you know, trying to keep their their practice schedule together, trying to get everybody into the facility on time. Doesn't sound like it's going to be an issue on Sunday. I'm seeing temperatures in, in the teens and 20s with no snow in the forecast right now, which sounds balmy compared to the conditions we saw last weekend. Kansas City Chiefs beat the Dolphins in minus temperatures. 21 degrees is going to feel like a a tropical location to them. It's easy to fixate on quarterback versus quarterback. That's the narrative legacy stuff. They're the guys that are going to be in the cool graphics. But it's always important to remember those guys never actually face each other in these games. So I want to choose to focus instead on, on these matchups. Number one being Patrick Mahomes going against a Buffalo defense that is beat to hell right now. The Bills have six players, as of recording, not participating in practice. Four of the six are on the defensive side of the ball. We saw Terrell Bernard exit with an injury against Pittsburgh, as well as starting cornerback Christian Benford. Keep in mind, those guys are playing already thin positions. Terrell Bernard stepped in for all-pro Matt Milano, who they lost months ago. And also, the Bills cornerbacks have lost Plenty of players over the course of the year, most notably Tredavious White. Fellow corners Rasul Douglas and Teron Johnson are also dealing with things right now. The the math of following the league tells me that multiple of these guys are going to find a way. If Bernard finds a way onto the field especially, kudos to him after being carted off in an air cast with that ankle injury on Monday afternoon. Unbelievable toughness to even be in a position to play this game. But the point being... The Bills are going to be at a disadvantage purely from a body standpoint. And what better time for the Chiefs? We know how their passing game has struggled at times this year. They haven't been able to lean 
on anybody consistently. It was Rasheed Rice last week. Maybe he can carry that over, especially with injuries at the cornerback position. But the other thing I, I, I'm looking at, especially with the injury to Terrell Bernard, is maybe this is finally a week where Travis Kelsey breaks out and does his thing. The conditions are going to be better than they were last week. And Travis Kelsey can feast over the middle of the field. That's a problem when you're starting middle linebacker who's not really your starting linebacker is potentially out or at least hobbled. I bet you Patrick Mahomes is going to find the Chiefs linebackers and find a way to make them pay. That is absolutely what I would do. The X factor here is how well the Bills pressure Mahomes. I do think they have the personnel to do it. Leonard Floyd, Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver. Can they affect Mahomes? Can they affect him while containing him? Remember how much Mahomes scrambling against Miami did to help them win that game. Can they pressure him? Can they force him to get rid of the ball or, or tuck the ball? Whatever you can do to keep him from taking advantage of the favorable matchups they might have in the passing game. But yeah, I'm looking at Travis Kelsey and maybe maybe the running backs, Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Zilaire, to take advantage of the middle of the field. I think it's going to be susceptible. The news doesn't get a whole lot better for the Bills on the other side of this as you look at Josh Allen going against the Kansas City defense. Gabe Davis still trying to turn from a pectoral injury. Keep an eye on it. He still could. But if he can't go, I think that makes the math pretty easy for the Kansas City Chiefs. Legereus Sneed might have been an all-pro snub in the media, but the Kansas City cornerback has been playing like one all year. He bullied the hell out of Tyreek Hill a week ago. So if Gabe Davis isn't there to offer you more of a threat on the outside, Legereus Sneed's going to deal with Stephon Diggs as often as possible, and I trust him to win just as much as he loses in that matchup. So if that's the case, I'm not saying Stephon Diggs will be completely shut down, but at the very least, that's a matchup the Chiefs can trust Snead to handle. Where else do you look if you're Josh Allen? Both of his tight ends scored touchdowns against Pittsburgh last week. Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid. Do you look to that as a way to offset it? Is that enough? You also have the elements of Josh Allen doing Josh Allen stuff. He can be a great equalizer. He's a bigger threat to carry the ball in bigger moments for bigger gains than Patrick Mahomes. Not to knock Mahomes as a runner. Please don't come for me, Chiefs fans. But one guy is clearly more of a priority to corral when you see him running for 52-yard scores against Pittsburgh last week. So that's what I'm curious to see is if Stephon Diggs is getting all of the attention because Gabe Davis is hurt, what else can the Bills lean on? The Chiefs' run defense has been phenomenal this year. That's also worth mentioning. James Cook had a huge second-half surge. Can the Bills run against the Chiefs, not counting Josh Allen breaking contain and just doing Josh Allen stuff? I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be on Josh Allen to do a lot of stuff in this game if the Bills are going to win. And if he doesn't have that extra hand, I don't know how good I feel about it. One X factor I do want to mention. Remember, Bills punter Sam Martin injured his hamstring on the blocked uh, field goal. Pittsburgh blocked a field goal in that playoff game on Monday. We'll see if he plays. He still can. But the Bills were concerned enough by it that they signed Matt Hack to the practice squad in case he can't go. Hack has played in one game this year. 
He punted three times for the Cleveland Browns a few weeks ago against the New York Jets. So either you're asking a guy who hasn't done it a lot to step in, or you're leaning on a punter with a potential gimpy hamstring in a playoff game. You can tell me that sounds boring all you want, but that can be the type of stuff that decides games is a shanked punt that provides bad field position or God forbid Martin is up for the game and re-aggravates the hamstring halfway through. And all of a sudden you're left in a no in a not good punting situation. So just something to keep in mind in a game with a three point spread between teams that are known for playing classic games that could play a sneaky, sneaky big role. Hopefully we won't see anything like the circus we saw during the regular season matchup. Kadarius Tony nullifying the alley-oop touchdown that Travis Kelsey threw to him. If something like that were to happen in the playoffs, we really might break the internet. Have a feeling it's going to be entertaining. I picked the Bills before the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. I don't want to back off of that now, but knowing what the Bills don't have and knowing what Patrick Mahomes is capable of, I'm terrified that I think the Bills are going to win. I'm not going to be surprised if I have egg on my face about that one. Hopefully it's as entertaining as these Bills-Chiefs games usually are. Our final preview is also the first game of Divisional Weekend on Saturday afternoon. The Houston Texans travel to Baltimore to face the AFC number one seed Ravens. And please take a minute to just think about the road to get here. I thought about this. The minute this matchup was was finalized, I thought about the fact that the Texans opened their season in week one at Baltimore in a game that just did not make noise in the overall league landscape. And the reason I know that, I went back and looked. Survivor, you know, where you pick a team every week and hope they advance. Fantasy Survivor players picked Baltimore in week one in overwhelming numbers. I looked at Yahoo specifically. 36% of Survivor players picked the Ravens to beat the Texans as just a throwaway, ah, Baltimore will take care of business and we don't have to think too hard about this. And they did. The Ravens beat the Texans 25-9 to in week one. Not a memorable game. Didn't look like it was going to be a memorable season for the Houston Texans. And now... They are a win away from the AFC championship game. It's crazy the journey you can go on in a season. And that's why the beauty of the NFL is the promise of hope because the Houston Texans are here. I think a lot of people expected the Ravens might be, but even even Houston homers never saw it coming that a successful season with C.J. Stroud would lead this close to a conference championship game appearance. We'll see how they do with it. We're, of course, bringing on the C.J. Stroud expert. We started talking to our guy, Ben Arthur, AFC South reporter, halfway through the season about what C.J. Stroud was doing. So it's only fitting to check in now on the eve of a divisional playoff game about Baltimore-Houston. All right, Ben, you know, a week ago, I would have been really worried about the Houston Texans going against a defense as good as Baltimore's, but... Then they go out and they shred the Cleveland Browns for eight yards a snap. I still can't get over that stat. Almost like basically a first town down every time you snap the ball. Um, how, how much confidence should that give the Texans? And and how different of a of a challenge does this also very good Baltimore Ravens defense present? Yeah, to answer your qu- first question, 
Dave, I mean, I mean, the Texans should have a lot of confidence, right? I mean, you shred the number one defense in the NFL. Like if there's one defense that was better than the one they're about to face, it was, it was Cleveland, right? And they're able to move the ball very, very effectively. Uh, it doesn't really seem to matter what kind of defense that C.J. Stroud goes up against. He's able to uh, exploit those weaknesses. And, and I, I think in that uh, wild card game against Cleveland, uh, I think Bobby Slowick, Slovic, his just aggressiveness in terms of attacking uh, that number one pass defense, like they're, they're not, they're, they're very confident in themselves. I think that's the one thing we can say about the Texans. And so, uh, so yeah, they should have a lot of confidence going into this game. I, I mean, this Ravens defense is different. I mean, you think about guys like Kyle Hamilton in the back end and then just the simulated pressures they run. And so th there'll be, it, it'll, it'll be a different kind of challenge. Uh, but, but again, going back to that confidence that Houston should have coming out of the last round, uh, I don't think they have any fear. And then you, you just think about the first time that they played uh, Baltimore in week one. I mean, both teams are, are completely different, but Stroud was still able uh, to move the ball uh, very effectively. I mean, red zone, it, it kind of stalled a bit, but uh, overall, um, still, and it was his first game in the NFL, right? Like he was still really able to move the ball against this defense. So I, th I think if you're the Texans, you should have a lot of confidence. You go back and look at that game and you're right. Like I remember way back week one, like you don't have a lot of expectations for the Texans. The final score is 25, nine. You're like, all right, the Ravens did their thing. Of course they did. Then you go look at it and you're like, CJ Stroud played pretty damn well in this game. Yeah. All things, you know, all things considered for a debut. I do think that's a it's a really great point, though, is and I mean, Cleveland's defense had a phenomenal season, but it's very much under Jim Schwartz. It's it's a line up and go sort of situation. And I do think this is this may be a, a little bit more intricate of a challenge for CJ, just in terms of how how versatile the Ravens are. You know, they I, I talked to Marcus Williams about this on the show last week, just about all the different things they can do, the different places they can line guys up. I'm past the point of of doubting CJ Stroud, but but is he capable of being confused, do you think, by by a defense like this? Um I mean it's is it possible? Yes. I mean, just again, because of what we've seen from Stroud, it's like it's really, really hard to root against him. But like I was saying earlier, Dave, I mean, this Ravens defense does present like different kinds of challenges, like like it is elite, just like Cleveland was. But you think of Justin Matabuke uh, at the defensive tackle spot, how much internal uh, pressure like it, it, from the interior part of that line, how much pressure that CJ could be facing that he hasn't faced before. And then I think as good as Cleveland's linebackers are, Baltimore's is on a whole nother level, right? You, you have Roquan Smith and and Patrick, Patrick Queen, and then you spoke about the versatility that they have, which I think is most notable, uh, like with that secondary, with, with Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton and those guys. So uh, it's a different kind of challenge. Uh, they will... Uh, I think they'll, they will be able to maybe uh, throw some things at Stroud that he hasn't seen. I mean, as good as he's been, he's only played 16 games in the NFL. So uh, I think they'll, they'll be able to throw some things that 
uh, he hasn't seen, but but I, I think one thing that the the Texans do have that they didn't have in that first matchup is a run game. Uh, uh, Damian Pierce was still the starter uh, in, in that in that season opener, and he really struggled. And we know we, we've talked about this on the pod, right? Like just how how much Devin Singletary ha has meant to this Texans offense, and really being like a top three running back the second half of the season. So. I think even like from the passing game perspective, if they are able to uh, throw some stuff at, at Stroud that maybe they're, they're not expecting or whatever, I think just having a guy like Singletary back there to take some pressure off it is really going to help them. I got to give you a ton of credit for this. You mentioned it before, the way that Derek Stingley played against Cleveland the other day and, and what he was able to do to Amari Cooper – I'm curious for your thoughts on on how the Texans play this Baltimore offense. I don't think I don't think there are as obvious places to start with the Browns, like I, with the Ravens as there were with the Browns. You know, Cleveland, you got Amari, you got David Njoku, and it all kind of goes from there. It seems like the Ravens have a more diverse cast of characters. Where do you, where do you think the Texans focus in trying to slow Lamar Jackson and these guys down? Yeah, I think the big thing, Dave, is that Mark Andrews might play. I mean, that's that's huge, right? He's one which of the best. is incredible, by yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. Just considering the injury, right, and missing what the last six weeks of the regular season, how much of a challenge he's going to be because uh, he he is Lamar's favorite target. I mean, they came into the NFL together in Baltimore in 2018. Uh, last several years, he, he's been an insurance blanket for him. Uh, and, and all that jazz. And so I think just if you're the Texans, you're expecting him to play and just figuring out, OK, like how best are, are we going to account for uh, someone like that? I think that's number one. I think number two, if I'm the Texans, if I'm D'Amico Ryans, I'm really concerned about Zay Flowers and 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 D'Amico talked about it in his press conference this week. But just how shifty he is and and we know he, he broke some of the what the Ravens rookie receiving records but uh just how dynamic he is and uh all season and really in the second half of the year the Texans uh really struggle containing those explosive explosive pass plays we even saw it early in that Browns game where uh they let David Njoku get behind the defense and um who is it? Um, Bryant. I can't remember his first name. That tight end for for the Harrison Bryant. Harrison Bryant. Right? Yep, Harrison Bryant and and another receiver as well. Um, it may have been Amari Cooper. May have been someone else. But they they have been. What, what my point is, they have been success, susceptible uh, to some of these big plays in the past game. So so when you think about how how dynamic Zay Flowers is, I'm concerned about that too. And Odell has. You know, we've seen him play really well in the postseason, with, like with the Rams, for instance. So, like you said, it is a diverse cast of weapons, a different kind of challenge uh, that the Texans will be facing. But again, I think it really starts with Mark Andrews because I, I, that that's Lamar's number one target. And so I think if you can start there, um, then I think you give yourself as good of a chance as possible into a tough environment. This one goes without saying, although it's it's interesting, you know, Lamar Jackson likely going to win MVP had a phenomenal year. But by Lamar Jackson standards, 
hasn't been this like week in week out rushing threat, right? Like he he it, it's it's been more choosing his spots this season than I think we've seen in other years. I'm curious how D'Amico Ryan handles that. Uh, obviously, I mean, the old adage is like pressure. I mean, pressuring the quarterback is is good most of the time, but it almost feels like that can be a mistake against Lamar Jackson. What What is the game plan here for trying to put pressure on the guy without, you know, breaking contain and ruining your defensive alignment? I Like, if, if we had the answer to this, Somebody would have done it by yeah, now, obviously, exactly. but but I guess what is the approach? Yeah, it's it's really tough, Dave. Um, I think if you're the Texans, you're encouraged because that first matchup, and again, that was four months ago, right? Season opener from the Ravens' perspective, it was Lamar's first game with uh, Todd Monken, and so they were still figuring things out, but they did get a lot of pressure that game. Uh, Will Anderson had his first career sack. They, I, I believe they sacked him four times. And so I think if you're Houston, you you look at some of those things uh, that you did well um, in that game. Uh, the, the Texans, when they have had everyone healthy, they have been a pretty good pressure team. Even if the sacks haven't necessarily been at the top of the league, they have been great at generating pressure. So, uh so I, I think you start there and 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 you just think about Will Anderson and Jonathan Grenard's health because they, they've been on the injury report for the last pretty much the last month. Uh, Jonathan Grenard missed some games. Uh, so you just hope that they're as healthy as possible. And, and I know their D tackles, too, have been banged up, too. So uh, you just hope that they're as healthy as possible to try to contain him. Um but yeah, and then I think as much as possible trying to make the Ravens one-dimensional in that uh kind of trying to kind of shutting this down that the, these these running backs, right? Like you have a what Justice Hill and Gus Edwards and uh they signed they just signed some oh it was Dalvin Cook. Um so I and and the Texans have been really good against the run this season, and so I think as much as possible, like if you're able to kind of eliminate the run game, and and, and I know Lamar has been better as a passer this year, but uh, just trying to put everything on Lamar's shoulders as much as possible, if that makes sense, gives yourself uh, the best chance uh, to win because I mean, as you said, I mean, he's very elusive. He he's going to have those plays where you did the best you can and you just kind of have to tip your hat to him. But I think as much as possible, uh, if if you can kind of eliminate those running backs and then uh, just kind of hoping that those your, your D line guys are as healthy as possible and, and trying to get pressure and, and, uh, and yeah, and just kind of going from there because there isn't really a good answer. And that's why I'm kind of struggling with that question. But I think if you do those things, you give yourself the best possible chance. You have something in common with every defensive coordinator in the NFL. So I wouldn't worry about it. One, one last one for you. I talked to Greg Olson about this as well for the Packers 49ers game. I just I wonder how real the element of pressure is in these situations. You know, the Ravens are the highly favored one seed. The Ravens haven't always had a wonderful history in the playoffs. 
And and now comes the Houston Texans who weren't supposed to be here and and probably don't fully grasp the gravity of the situation. Like it, it seems like an easy spot for the Texans to play loose. Uh, and I wonder, you know, what what element that might have in this game of of the pressure of the expectations for one team and maybe not so much for the other. Yeah, the, the Texans enter this game with absolutely no pressure. All the pressure in the world is on the Ravens, right? They have Lamar Jackson healthy for, for this playoff run. They're the number one seed. They're playing at home. Uh, they're rested. Uh, and Lamar historically hasn't been great in the postseason. I think it's, what, four or five touchdowns to seven interceptions, uh, something like that. And so... Uh, all the pressure is on their side. And I, I think you have to think, like, could maybe rust, a little bit of rust be a factor? Because not just because of, like, having the week off, right? But then they rested their starters in Week 18, right? So the, their their guys haven't played in, in a few weeks, three weeks. And so are the Texans going to catch them off guard? I, I think that's something you, you have to think about. Uh, but 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 the one thing I do think works in, in the Ravens' favor is a little bit is the weather, right? The Texans, you know, Houston is hot. They're not used to playing in the cold, and 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 I looked at the weather because I I'm gonna be there, and it, it's it's gonna be in the twenties and and the teens and and high wind, and and I know it was colder in in Houston this week, so so they do get a, a little bit of kind of preparation for what they're going to be in for when, when they get to Baltimore, but it's going to be really interesting to see like how that maybe affects Stroud. And, and if this is going to, if this ends up being kind of a, a lower scoring game, which I think is totally possible, uh, like how does that affect like the Texans kicker, Kaimi Fairbairn, who's from Hawaii and he's not used to the cold either. So uh, I, I think all those things you have to look at, but as you said, Dave, like all the pressure is on Baltimore uh like Stroud and the Texans that there's no pressure like their their season is a success whether or not that they really do anything in this game so um I'm just as fascinated as everyone else to kind of see what what happens here I it, it goes for both sides of the bracket like not on like I, I I don't think the Packers or the Texans have a whole lot of pressure on them and like you said both of these teams have not played high-stakes football in about three weeks, the 49ers as well as the Baltimore Ravens. Very interested to see how they handle that. Not not, not ready to call for an upset, but I do think it's it's going to be interesting. Ben, I'm, I'm pumped you're getting the chance to go to this one, man. We'll be sure to check in with you when it's over. Thanks a lot. Sounds good, Dave. Thank you. That does it for the game previews, but one last bit of business before we get out of here. I had a chance to talk to a guy that I think NFL fans should know more about. That would be Minnesota Vikings safety Cameron Bynum, who stopped by the studio. He's a California guy. Vikings season's over. Why not stop by and say hi? I had a chance to talk to him about, first of all, his his own story, which is incredibly cool, but also the Vikings season, what it's like playing for Brian Flores. And of course, with two NFC North teams in the playoffs this weekend, I did have a chance to talk to him about the Packers and the Lions as well. Just a really fun conversation with a really fun young player 
Check it out. I feel so much less lonely in the studio these days. It's usually me. But we we had Bears DB Jalen Johnson earlier this week. And now... Out here? Yeah, absolutely. Right here Ooh, in the studio. Okay. And now we are also joined this week, none other than Viking Safety, Cameron Bynum. Cam, what's up, man? Thanks what's for coming on? by the studio. Thanks for having me. I'm, it's my first time here. This is cool. Okay, so you see the studio now. Yep. Dark route. We got the TVs on the far wall. Yeah. So I'm going to take you back. What was that? Week? Six. Mm-hmm. I'm watching on TV. The Minnesota Vikings upset the San Francisco 49ers. Cameron Bynum leads the Vikings in tackles. Two picks of Brock Purdy. It's just, it's amazing. It's Crazy. Monday night upset. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, the Vikings balled out. But then they pull you aside after the game to congrats, you know, talk about mm-hmm. your great game. Right. And you tell this amazing story about how your wife is in the Philippines. She can't get her visa. Can anybody help me? And all, and it turns into like this really cool story where you got a lot of help bringing your wife, getting your wife a visa to come into the U.S. and watch you play football. So, I mean, I do want to talk about the game, but can we start mm-hmm. yeah, we can with start that and just yeah. what that moment and everything that came after it. Yes, that moment was crazy. It was one of those games. So my, it was just one of those games where everything went well. Like you feel like a superhero out there when you're on the field. Like you're going, I'm going against, I wouldn't say my hometown team, but I went to school in the Bay Area. All my family's from the Bay Area. So it's kind of like a, I grew up there half the time when visiting every few times a year. Um, so going against the Niners is always a big deal for me. So it was just one of those games where I knew like I had to be on my A game. So got on that field. I'm feeling nice and bouncy, ready to go, really. So the second we got out there, that first series, made a few tackles and had a yeah, I didn't get the forced fumble on the stat, but I thought I forced a fumble. So it was like everything was going well from the jump. So it was just one of those games where, okay, this is my time to shine and ball out. And it's been a plan since the beginning to the second I have a uh, crazy game, I'm I'm asking for help to get my wife's visa because it seemed like everything happened because it's from that game, it was three weeks until um, she was able to get here to the States. But people don't know about, we've been waiting over a year mm-hmm. for that. So it was, we still went through the whole process, but it, it was able to shine light on that situation and able to really get her there within three weeks of that game. So it was, it, everything went perfect that game. That's the crazy the power of TV, the power of the internet is mm-hmm. that minute and a half that you were talking on TV right. probably it did more than whatever exactly. months and months of work other than that. What do you remember from, I mean, did you wake up with, with people in your, in your texts? Like, Hey, we, we can help about this. Like what, how did that process go? It was after? pretty overwhelming, honestly, having so many people reaching out to help because I'm like, okay, who has the person that's actually going to be able to, get us in there to help us and talk to the right people. Cause everybody's reaching out. I have this lawyer, I have this, this attorney um, that can do this, this and that. And which I was super appreciative, but it was so overwhelming with how many people were willing to help and trying to help. So it was like my phone blowing up. Everybody has somebody for me. So I'm like, I, I don't even know where to start, but really everything got um, taken care of with my legal team that I already had. And just with everything going on, it, it got in the right, the right people saw it and they were able to help and make sure that um, we get the application the right way and make sure we get um, applied. And she had an appointment and still had to do her interview out there. So we still had to go through the whole process, but just it being seen by people for sure helped and really put us in, in front of the right people to be able to make it happen. 
So between the personal component and then having that game against the not mm-hmm. the, the Niners of all teams, I mean, right. it's got to exactly. rank pretty high up there in the Cam Bynum moments. Oh, right? yeah. I think that's probably, i say that's the game of my life. I think, uh, yeah, I can't think of any other game where I felt better on the field as far as like in control of my play and just feeling crispy out there on the field, but also the results of being able to have that game on that night, Monday night game, whole world is watching against at that time with the best team in the league and really go out there and have the game that I did and then be able to use the platform for something positive and get my wife here. Cause it was, it was a struggle not having her out here and having to do long distance and her being in the Philippines and the time difference is complete flipped. And yeah, so I'm waking up, she's going to sleep and vice versa. So it was, it was a struggle. So we, but we made it happen. I've done long distance, like a one or two time zones. Right. That's, I didn't even think <laughs> that's about different. that. That yes. is, that's crazy. Your wife is here. Your uh, Lelaine. Yes. That, yep. So, okay. I, I want to get back to football in a minute, but let's talk about the other component. Cause I didn't know this until you got here. You actually, you live in the Philippines yes. as well. And you, you're, you're hosting a football camp, uh, Camp Beasy mm-hmm. in, in Cebu City this year. Yes, sir. Just talk about, I mean, your, your heritage there and, and what it's like to split time between the U.S. and the Philippines. Just kind of what your offseason looks like and what you're uh, looking forward to. Yeah, so I have a pretty crazy offseason schedule. Traveling is my one of my main passions of what I do outside of football. But um, between me being half Filipino, my mom being full Filipino, and having family that um, lives there, but also family just here in the States also that's willing to come out and travel with us and all of my friends and family, uh, we really made it a, a thing that we love to do, go out there and now through our foundation, go do camps and go do outreaches to help people. But really, that's one of the the fun things that I do in the off season is go live out there and just get away from the life out here in the States and the the busy, you know, it's, it's go, go, go here. But you get back to the Philippines, it's just slow, relaxed, you're on a beach, you could be in the city, but it's still way more slow paced than it is here. And that's how I like to live kind of a crazy schedule. I like being busy and doing a bunch of different things. And I'm, I'm a go, go, go type of guy. Too. I, I can see that. I, I do love <laughs> you said something that the, the NFL has done recently is letting players embrace their heritage. Mm-hmm. You, know, you wear the flag on your helmet. Coaches do it as well. Right. I'm curious, for me at least, the Philippines is not a country that I associate mm-hmm. with, with American football, with like right. growing the game. What is what is the impression over there and the awareness of, of the NFL, the enthusiasm for There's it? There's really no, a lot of people don't know about football at all. You, you hear football, you, obviously you think of soccer. Most countries hear football and they think sure. of soccer. Yeah. You talk about American football and they don't know too much about it. So really being able to go out there and bring kind of an unknown sport Really, the main people that know about it are adults that have social media where they can find the get the VPNs to watch certain games because you're in a different zone where you can't get live TV that's showing live football games. So that it's a lot of effort to do that. So a lot of kids have no clue what football is. So that's really been one of our goals to bring the game of football out to the Philippines. And that's what we're doing with the camp and doing camps out there to teach the game to the... It's a lot of adults, but also trying get it down to the to the kids so they can start it at a young age, just like I did. And f- football really changed my life. You see, it's brought me across the world. I was never able to travel and go back to the Philippines until I made it to the NFL because I don't ha- didn't have the time because I was in school. And obviously, it's expensive to travel across the world. So football's opened my life up to a lot of different avenues. So I'm like, why can't, why can't we bring this sport 
this unknown sport in the Philippines and bring it out there and try and make it popular. That's really cool. Cause uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hear about football growing in parts of Europe and it, it popular in South America, but mm-hmm. to, to bring it to, to a place where maybe there's not as much of as, as much enthusiasm for it. Right. I think that's really cool. Uh, okay. Career year. Yes. For you year three with the Minnesota mm-hmm. Vikings. And we can, we can take this in a number of different directions, but I've had so much fun this year watching Brian Flores yes. dial stuff up for you guys. Like yes. it's it's such a chaotic defense. And I mean that in a good way. It is. You just, it is. He's going to blitz. He's going to bring the house more than anybody. It's going to be coming from different directions. Mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of fun watching you. Josh Metellus is another guy that I think right. deserves a shout out. Mm-hmm. Daniil Hunter, obviously. That goes without yeah, saying. That, that's, that's obvious. So... Just, I mean, take me through what it was like playing for Brian Flores this year for starters. Really, the best way to describe it is fun. It makes football, it made football fun. Like the next, the level of football, like, you know, you all have fun. It's a game. But like the style that he brings of always being aggressive, never playing on our heels, really made the game a lot more fun. You see the possibilities of if we can mix things up, guys play different positions. Like, you know, about about Josh, like you mentioned Josh, he plays literally every position on the field. Me, I was started, starting at safety towards the end of the season, had some games starting at corner, playing different positions, playing in the nickel spot. So all of us can do everything. So it's never an easy tell for the offense. So really mixing that up and being able to play fast and knowing that we're sending pressure so we can play free. And Coach Flo just telling us, like, from day one, he always said, this is your guys' defense. I'm never going to sit here and be an authority figure um, over you guys and tell you you have to play certain things like this. We'll have rules that you guys have to follow, obviously, because it's still organized football. But he said, if you see something, you've played the game long enough, you can make those executive decisions to either check something or you want to play a little more free, take some more risks, let's do it. So playing under him is just fun, just knowing how – aggressive we're always going to play and we're never going to play scared to scared to be aggressive or scared to go after somebody when did you realize it was going to be that way and how much more fun was it to do your job this year because of that you could tell in camp really in training camp it was stressful it was weird it was weird in OTAs so we didn't start installing the defense until way later on in OTAs and it was different for us because we're like when are we going to learn some plays they're like just trust the process we're learning how to do certain techniques. We're going to learn. Everybody's going to learn how to blitz the edge. Everybody's going to learn how to play the flat. Everybody's going to learn how to play the hook. Everything, just so you can always be really polished in every single position on the field. And for us being us being in the first year of that system, we're like, okay, we still don't know our plays. We're like, so we see it in camp, like, okay, this is why, because now this play, I'm playing the flat. Josh might be playing the hook. Harry might be blitzing off the edge. And just certain things like that made it possible where they really built that. So you start to see, okay, this is why we're playing it this way because Coach Flo is going to mix things up where the offense has no clue. And it's funny hearing our offense talk about it in training camp too, just seeing like, they're really like, what, what coverage are you guys in? Like, <laughs> we, and I'm like, we can't even, you can't even explain it to them. We You're can't like, say it's covered too. I don't not, really know either, man. We're just. Exactly. We're having fun. So. Where do I want to go with this next? I get, well, for starters, I mean, how, how valuable is that versatility? Just, I mean, like you talk about mm-hmm. having half a dozen guys who can do half a dozen different right. things. I mean, how valuable is that on a defense? I think that's super important. I saw, I learned that this year, like how important it is to have guys that can do multiple things. Cause if you have 
a guy that can only blitz, can't cover, it's like, okay, if he's in the box, what else do you think he's going to do? He's going to blitz. So it just opens up the possibilities of everything and makes you more of a valuable player and makes you more valuable in that scheme. So really having guys that are versatile just makes life easy on everybody because whether somebody messes up and you got to cover for them or you got to play something different, now you can now you know you've had time on task at that position. The other thing I really like I I love this about y'all is like I mean and I I get it like you, Brian Flores is going to empower y'all but y'all do what you do too. Like right. if you look at the stats like every team mm-hmm. that played the Vikings like they faced a lot of pressure. Right. Like does does that give you confidence when when the coach is is that confident in y'all and and what the game plan is going to be? Yeah, it's it really makes us have no stress like it, there's been years and like in my football career overall, you go into a game like it's like, ah, I don't I don't know if I'm feeling this game plan. There's never a time in the season this year where I was questioning the game plan or questioning our ability to cover certain things because some issues we might see a certain route concept and like, ooh, that might be tough to cover. But we're like, actually, no, because we're sending six if they line up this way. So the ball's not going to get out for them to run this route concept. So we're like. What next play? It's like certain things like that where it's there's no stress in certain things and it makes it possible because we know that certain against a certain look, we might send some pressure where we don't have to worry about covering for four or five seconds on the back end because we know the blitz is is dialed up where somebody's coming free. You're the ball's coming out. Exactly. <laughs> and you see that all we got all year with screens, quick game, and a max protection shot here and there with a tribe. But that's really how whether it's games we won or lost, they did it by doing little quick throws. I think it was the first game y'all played against the Bears where the one where Justin Fields eventually got hurt. Like, by the end of that, they were like, what can we do? Exactly. What can we do that's everything. not going to have our quarterback the in the pocket? The first play was a sack. Yeah. And he, he got smacked. Like, the first play was a big hit on your quarterback. And it's like, all right, this is the type of game it's going to be. We were laughing on the sideline that first series. Like, they're really not going to block us the first play? Like, you put it on tape that we're sending pressure. So it's just funny to see because I, I love, like, how aggressive we are. I, I Like I said, it's it's the best kind of chaos to watch y'all exactly. play. I like it a lot. Although, it, I mean, wild wild season for y'all. I mean, yes. you lose Kirk yes. early. You lose Justin for a lengthy stretch of time. Mm-hmm. Josh Dobbs comes in, like, that crazy game against Atlanta. Like, what a year. And I'm, I mean... I get it. Like you're you're playing football for a living. I get it. Like it's yeah. It's gonna it's it's a, you're playing a game, but at the same time, like pro, it, professional football can be so wild when you're like, wait, the quarterback's not here, the number one receiver's not here. Like right, human, we, na- like, human nature can slip in. How do you how do you fight against that? Like how do you fight against bad breaks like that where you're like, well, I mean, I still got to come in seven days a week and do this. Yeah, you got to understand like human nature and. Is gonna you're gonna want to seek comfort and be like, okay, we don't have our quarterback. Oh well, let's just you know it's whatever. Let's just survive and go. But really, the biggest thing was us having those conversations on the team. Like, I don't care who's who's on our offense, especially on the defense. Like, we're like, okay, we still have our guys. We're gonna play. We're playing aggressive. I don't care what happens. And like that Raiders game where there's no touchdown score and the we ended up winning three nothing. I forgot about that. That's the testament. Just another of, moment in this yeah, season. That's the testament of our our mindset on defense. Is like, I don't care who's playing on the other side. You know, we played every single one of our quarterbacks this season. Every single one of them had a start in in a game, 
And that's rare that if that ever happens. But our mindset was, I don't care. We got our guys. We're rolling. And do we're going to ball. Do you lean? Like, I mean, is that is that veteran players? Is that Brian Flores? Is that Kevin O'Connell? A little I'd bit of everything? It starts, it starts with flow. And obviously KO, because he's the head coach. Like, that's always the message. We're going to go out there and do our thing. But one thing Flo talks about every, every day is we can't seek comfort. And if you're looking for every excuse before a game, trying to set him an excuse, you're not going to win. So uh, him going uh, him going in front of the defense and saying, this is going to be a 60-minute game. It's going to be a tough game, but we, we're coming out on the end. You guys don't have to play great, but we have to play good. Everybody have each other's back, fly around, and just play ball. And that's really, that's really you can see, like you said, that's how we play. It's chaos because we're all just playing fast, and we're just, we're just chasing the ball at this point. So this is the stuff that we talk about in the media. You're going to, I mean, you're going to be traveling. You're going to be doing all mm-hmm. kinds of fun stuff. So I don't, I'm curious how much this registers for you. It's obviously a very interesting off season. Kirk got hurt. Yeah. Kirk is heading for a free agency. How, how much do you think about that in the off season? And I guess, what do you think's going to happen with the Vikings here coming up in a couple months? Um, I don't think about it too much. Um, obviously we trust our, uh, staff and our GM, head coach, ownership to make the right decisions. But at, on a personal level, you know, we all, whether it's Kirk, whether it's anybody, we ride with our guys and we know that the guys that we have in the locker room can get it done. And especially in Kirk's position, everybody loves Kirk as a person and as a player. So anybody would hate to see him go, but you know how it's a business. So you, you never know what's going to happen. I keep my head out of all, any of that because I'm I'm really sentimental. So like if my friends leave, like Kirk is a friend of mine. Like these guys were all friends and brothers. And seeing guys go is is sad. So I keep my mind out of any of that free agency stuff because it, it gets sad seeing your people go. I've been in a lot of locker rooms and like that's I always think about the, this time of year. I mean, thirty percent turnover every year. Like exactly that every I mean that team. 30% of those guys will be gone. I mean, how do you... Exactly. Been in the league for a few years now. Does it get any easier to process? i say it never gets easy because you get closer and closer to guys every single season, especially if you're there multiple years with them. Then you get back and you go. It, it'll go half the day like, oh, wait, he's gone. Like, one of your good good friends on the other side of the ball, like, you might not realize he's gone until a week through OTAs because you might not, see, might not see somebody. And just, it's, it's always tough. It just has the personal side. But you're always happy when you see somebody else, somebody, one of your friends get picked up by another team, seeing them land in a good situation where they're becoming a starter or they're getting a, a heavier role of getting playing time or go from practice squad to active when they get picked up somewhere. So you got to look at both sides. Like, okay, probably not going to see him every day, but I see him on film balling out on another team. So it's, you're always happy for, for your guys. Before I get you out of here, I am going to pick your brain on the playoffs a little bit. I, do you watch the playoffs? Or I do. You, kind of, you, you do? Okay. I do. So you saw what happened to the Cowboys last weekend going yes. against Green Bay. You guys, y'all got, I mean, y'all got a lick on Jordan Love and the Packers earlier in the season and went mm. the other way late in the season. I asked Jalen Johnson this, the same thing. Like when you get a look at, at a guy like Jordan Love early and it's not clicking for Green Bay, you saw it when it was clicking. What mm. did, what did you notice about the difference there over the course of the season? I say it was a whole different team second time around. Um, I have a lot of respect for Jordan. I've been knowing him since high school. We played on the same seven-on-seven team, so I know what type of player he is, and I know he kind of caught some criticism early in his career and whatnot, but we see what he's doing. He's really a great player, and we see he, he turned the team around. 
And obviously it all falls back on your quarterback and he's been balling. So you see the team is balling, offense and defense, and everybody's catching that momentum from him. So um, I, it was a whole different team second time around. And um, I know that all the young guys, all their pieces are coming together. So it was, it was, um, it was cool to watch and see like the transformation of that team, but obviously they're still our rivals, so um, you can never you can never give them too much praise. But as a person, especially with with uh, Jordan, yeah, a lot of respect for him. I know he, he's a great player. Correct me if I'm wrong. You actually, the Vikings played all four of the NFC teams that are left right now, right? Yep. Yes, Detroit, Tampa, San Francisco, Green Bay. What are mm-hmm. your what are you looking forward to about these matchups? What do you what do you think of? I guess I'll I'll go over since they're in your division as well. The Lions. What do you make of this Lions Buccaneers matchup? What strikes you as uh, interesting about that? Um, the line, I'd say the Lions are a really good team. They've been firing all year, especially when golf is balling. He's been going crazy lately, so we expect that to be a, a high scoring game on their end. Um, but Tampa Bay looked good. The other night. They sure did. They look really good. Offense, defense looks crazy. Um, so it's really complete teams on both ends. But I would say, obviously, with any other game, whoever comes out playing better that night um, is going to be victorious. But that's, that's going to be a good matchup because they're, uh, Tampa Bay's, they're, they're peaking at the right time. And that's, that's what you see right now. Todd Bowles looked like he took a page out of the Brian Flores playbook, like just putting pressure. They were sending people every play. Get people in Jalen Hurts' yes. face. I don't care where it's coming from. Send Whitfield, Winfield every play. Send, they sent in somebody every single play. I, it was fun to watch that game. It really was. It was fun to watch y'all this season, man. This is this has been a really fun conversation, Cam. I'm I'm glad yeah, you came by. I appreciate the time. I know you're traveling, but if you're if you're back in LA and you want to hop on, you just let me know and we'll make yeah. it happen. Yep, you got my number. Call me whenever. I'll be here. Appreciate it. Love the man. studio. Love the TVs too, especially this picture behind. That's nice. It's kind of nice. Nice. Make sure you get a screenshot. Yeah, of Cam. There we go. Get some extra TV time with that. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Yep. Thank you. That does it to the show. Thanks again to all my guests today. Thanks again to Cam Bynum for stopping by the studio. Enjoy the divisional round of the playoffs. We will be back on Monday to break it all down, all four games. We will have analysis. We will have recaps. We will have previews of the conference championship games to come, whatever they may be. We'll also be sure to update you on whatever coaching news pops off. I'm positive something will between now and then. We will have it all. So make sure you go subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. When it comes out, you'll be ready for it. Go find us on the YouTube channel if YouTube is more your bag. Regardless, wall-to-wall coverage on Monday all through next week leading up to the conference championships. And like I said, all the way through Super Bowl 58, we will have you covered. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football. I'll talk to you all Monday.